to take you behind the scenes in Smashville. Yoshi slides it in, and the Predators win it overtime. This is the Preds' official podcast with Brooks Bratton on Smashville's best sports talk. ESPN. 102.5 The Game. The P.O.P., the Predators' official podcast here on ESPN 102.5 The Game. Episode 158 of the program. And it's so good to be back after a week hiatus. It's been a minute, Kara Hammer. I'm Brooks Bratton of NashvillePredators.com. Kara, of course, the Preds broadcast team. Producer Max, he's rolled out of bed. He's ready to go. My intern Jackson's hanging out with us, too. The gang's all here. And uh, it's good to be back. It's we were we were dealing with a little bit of scheduling, a little bit of sickness last week, but everyone's good, and uh, we're excited to talk some more Preds. An exciting show coming up for you, and plenty to discuss. But Kara, anything uh, come to mind over the last two weeks? Has it been routine for you? Anything stick out? I think the biggest thing that sticks out for me with this team right now, Brooks, is, is the defense. You know, you, you look at just, I, I think I was watching a Twitter video and obviously we know that the Preds wear like the ACE mm, over mm-hmm. there. You, you know, it, it's like their thing that it, if you're like the best player of the game, the MVP, you get, you get a card that has an ACE on the front, which we still have to figure out what that's about. Right. They were very, they were, was it Roman? Somebody was asked about it and they were very like, uh, yeah, uh, it's, it's a team thing. So like, like we've been, we've been posting the videos of it from the locker room. They like to keep it in the defense core, but I don't know. I don't know that we're ever going to get to the bottom of it. I don't know. So stay tuned for next season when we actually find out what this season's (laughs) like motto was, but I I watched a video and Alex Carrier, he had put the ace on. He was like, there we go. Keeping it in the decor. Mm -hmm. I'm like, all right. So I think that's what stood out for me. They love that. That's a big thing. Every time somebody passes it off, it's like. All right, you know, Philip Forsberg scored four goals, but you know what? We got to keep it in the decor. That's <laughs> I appreciate that. I was a defenseman. I get it. A, a bad yeah. defenseman, but a defenseman nonetheless. So I hear it. You got to stick together. I think what I like about the defense is that it's like, you know, nobody's really had the same partner all season. They've had injuries. They've had COVID. Mm-hmm. So many guys coming in and out of the lineup, but they've still played really sound hockey. You know, like Matt Tennyson comes in. He fills a big role. Um, so I think that's what stands out for me is, you know, like there's just not an, a lot of normalcy amongst these guys, but they're still playing so well. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of guys filling in. You mentioned Matt Tennyson. It's been good to see him come up from Milwaukee, fill a good role uh, there on the back end with Dante Fabro currently on injured reserve and the Predators. Uh, Matt Tennyson's been contributing as has pretty much everybody in the lineup. The Preds are back on a four game point streak after that four game skid, a four two win in Seattle on Tuesday and then Thursday night in Edmonton, they fell in a shootout. The two most recent contests as we record this on Friday, January 28th. We'll talk reasons for success. And we're also excited for this chat coming up in just a bit. We're going to talk to Predators Pro Scout Nick Vitusi, who recently received quite an honor. We will discuss that. Also, the Preds have got some more games in February than they used to have and a couple of Twitter questions to get to as well. But since we last spoke... The Preds, they dealt with that four-game losing streak, but they've since rebounded with wins over Winnipeg, Detroit, Seattle, and the point in the shootout on Thursday in Edmonton, Roman Yossi. He became the franchise's all-time assists leader when he recorded number 357 against the Jets. 
And then two goals for Matt Duchesne last Saturday and a 5-2 win over Detroit. Duchesne scored again, as did Philip Forsberg, Luke Cunnan, Matthias Eckholm, and that 4-2 victory in Seattle on Tuesday. And then again, the 3-2 loss in the shootout on Thursday in Edmonton. But Forsberg, career goal number 200, Matt Duchesne scored again. UC Saros makes 44 saves. So, Kara, as the Predators came out of that skid and they've gotten back on track, what do you think? What stands out to you over the last little bit as to how they were able to come out of that? Um, well, I got to say one thing. We do just mentioned Roman Yossi breaking the assist record. Mm-hmm. Did you know that his, he obviously broke David Leguan's record? Did you know that his very first assist came on a David Leguan goal? We did find that out. That was really cool, actually. Circle is yeah, that. Yeah, it really is. It really is. And then Philip Forsberg's about to break David Leguan's goal record. Poor David Leguan. You know, I, I guess it was only a matter of time. And he's, he hold, or I guess I should say held, or previously held, or he's about to no longer hold all of these records because simply he was with the Preds since day one. He played with them until what, the 13 14 season, if I'm correct? And yeah. so it was just a simple fact of he had played here forever. And he wasn't necessarily the most prolific offensive player, but when you play from for a franchise since day one and you just keep playing and playing and playing, uh, you know, you're good to go. And so he's held all of these records until guys like Roman Yossi, Philip Forsberg started coming along and slowly but surely it's really cool to see. We're starting to see these franchise records uh, unearthed and these guys are starting to make their marks as well. So it was really cool to see Roman do that. And uh, for Philip as well to get 200, Leguan has 210 goals. And so Philip Forsberg is not far, he's not far behind either. And as far as that is concerned, I, I love the milestone watch that we've been on all, all season, you know, with Forsberg's goals, Yossi's assists, you know, uh, UC Saros has 99 career wins. Mm-hmm. So we're just waiting for that century mark. Obviously, we were all hoping it was going to come last night in Edmonton. It was in that building where he had, he had set his record 46 saves you know, compared to that last night and how many saves he made in that game. Um, but Tuesday against Vancouver, it's coming. I'm calling it right now. <laughs> nice. I love it. The Carahammer guarantee. Yeah, Juice is uh, one away from 100. Ryan Johansson only three points away from 500 in his NHL career. So that's pretty cool. And, of course, we know that every goal, every point that Philip Forsberg and Roman Yossi have had have come here in Nashville. But uh, again, as they, the Predators come out of that skid, one thing that stuck out to me is John Hines had said that they never lost the mindset that they needed to have. They, they never let it get to them. They always had a good synergy in the room and they, it was like, they knew they were going to come out of it. it. It was, you're going to go through stretches like that. Right. But the fact yeah. that they were able to not let the train get off the rails and just find their way back to a lot of the little things that give them success uh, is certainly a good sign. I don't think they were overly thrilled. Like they weren't perfect games in Seattle and Edmonton, but anytime you can go on the road and get three out of four points, I think you've got to be happy with that. And now they get a nice little rest here. I think when you look at the stretch, the only game that really stands out where they just got outplayed was the Buffalo game. Mm -hmm. You know, they had come off, you know, the game against Colorado, the game against Arizona, the Kings, those were hard fought games then they really just they just never really got their legs under them against Buffalo. But then they were able to come out, pick up the point against Boston, start the skid. Um, but I, I feel like you're exactly right, Brooks. They never really wavered from their games. They just found a way to grind it out. Seattle, that was a grind game. 
to be able to come back from behind after being down twice in the game mm-hmm. and pull it out last night. I, I really felt like Edmonton was the better team. UC Soros, he, he really earned them that point. Thing. He did. And he's done that so many times this season, right? And that kind of enters him in even further into the Vesna conversation, which we'll touch on more in a little bit. But uh, I think the number one thing, or at least what Matt Duchesne said, the number one thing coming up for the Preds, because it's rare to get a break like this, and they're going to have a lot of it in February too, but they're not going to play until Tuesday when they host Vancouver in Nashville. And so Matt Duchesne said rest is the number one thing right now as far as the days ahead. They're flying home here on Friday. They're going to have a day off on Saturday and then a couple of days to get some practices in. And they'll probably get Ellie Tolvanen back, hopefully Dante Fabro as well. David Poyle said that earlier in the week on this station. Uh, Fabro, of course, on injured reserve. Tolvanen has been in COVID protocol, but the Preds are hopeful that they will both be back in the lineup on Tuesday. So it gives them a chance uh, to rest and recuperate as well as the rest of the team because this is the point in the season where, as Duchesne said, everybody's got a little bump or a little bruise, some a little more serious than others, but... It's so important to be able to have a little bit of time if you can find it. And they're going to have that now, and they're going to have it in February too. And we'll touch more on the February schedule uh, in a little bit as well. But Kara, I think one thing that I at least wanted to mention is the scoring depth on this team and how big of a role that continues to play. As of games played through January 25th, the Predators had seven skaters who had scored at least 10 goals, second most among NHL teams. Nashville has 12 skaters with at least 15 points, also tied for the second most in the NHL. And the Preds are just one of three teams to have five skaters with at least 33 points, Florida and Colorado, the other two, two of the best teams in the league. That's pretty impressive, the amount of contributions they've had. And you expect guys like Forsberg, Yossi, Duchesne, Granlin, you expect them to produce. But it's the other guys, and I don't even want to say that they're picking up the slack because it's not like not like the top guys are slacking, but everybody is contributing, and that is a large reason why the Predators are where they are right now. I think Luke Cunnan has really surprised me this season. He stepped up. He's one of those guys that has double-digit goals. Um, but but it's just right. It's what you know, Coach Hines said about hockey is the ultimate team game. They're getting depth scoring. And that's one thing I felt the Predators were always lacking a little bit, but we see it coming it coming together this season. For sure. And I, I love what Hines said too about that in saying, as you mentioned, hockey being the ultimate team game. And he said the scoring depth is because our group is playing the right way. And that's been such a huge thing. How many times do we say it every week? That identity is exactly what they want to play with. Everybody's committed to it. Guys are making an impact. And it doesn't matter if it's on the score sheet, if it's physically, with work ethic. There's just a lot of consistency there. And, again, you expect those guys, your offensive-minded guys, to produce. But when you can count on contributions from guys like Luke Cunnan, Yakov Trenin, Tanner Janot, who we know has been outstanding this season, uh, Roman Yossi continues to lead the team in scoring as he usually does, uh, at mm-hmm. least in points. Philip Forsberg is on a ridiculous pace. He's got 22 already. Matthew Shane has 21 goals already. So much of that, obviously you need a score to win, right? Like that's the most basic element of hockey. But to get it from all across the lineup, which hasn't necessarily been the case uh, in, in recent years for the Predators. And, and I think too, like you've, 
at least for me in Nashville, there's never, at least in recent memory, I don't think there's ever really been one guy who's running away with everything. It's more of a concerted effort. But I think especially now, there's a lot of guys who are producing really well. And that has certainly been a big help. I think we learned from Coach Hines yesterday that he gives a lot of that credit to their identity from the season that they went through last year, playing the teams that they played night in, night out, Tampa Bay, Carolina, Florida. You look at the standings, those three teams are in the top 10 in the league right now. And he said every night when you're playing these high offensive teams, you learn your defense. He's like, but you also see how their top guys work. And our young guys learned that work ethic. We saw what it takes and what you need to win. And he said that it really created their identity last season, carrying it over into this season. And I think it, it reigns so true, Brooks. It's completely paying off with all of this depth scoring. I think it's probably not the worst thing in the world that the Predators don't have to play the Lightning and the Panthers and the Hurricanes eight times each this year. I think that probably helps a little bit. Um, but you're right. I mean, that's a really good point. We've talked about going to last season, the second half of last season, when they really started to build that identity to get to this point. Uh, and, and that's a really, really good item there is to just think about that and, and how this all started and where they've gotten to this point. And again, back to, you know, working their way out of that slump, the mindset never wavered and, and the mental toughness is, is really important right now as well. And, uh, we'll see what happens going forward. There's still, again, a lot of hockey left to be played, but if the Predators can stay where they are, stay in that conversation, uh, we could be looking at a very interesting springtime. And not eight times in one in a season, but they're going to play all three of these teams in the month of February. Yeah, they are. So stay tuned because this is a measuring stick coming up. The team. You want to talk about measuring sticks. I think everybody, when they played Colorado a couple of weeks ago, uh, measuring stick was the buzz phrase of the day. I think maybe it'll be the phrase of the month coming up yeah. in February as we see these teams. So much to look forward to. And uh, again, we'll discuss a little bit more on February coming up in a bit. And coming up after this, we'll chat with Predators Pro Scout Nick Vitusi. This is the Predators official podcast on ESPN 1025 The Game. Predators official podcast on ESPN 1025 The Game. We would do anything for hockey, honestly. Welcome back to the program. Brooks Bratton, Kara Hammer with you, and we're really excited now to be joined by our next guest. We talk to a lot of players, coaches, management. We don't often get to talk to a scout, though, and we're pleased to be joined now by Predators Pro Scout Nick Vitusi is kind enough to join us. And Nick, first of all, welcome to the show. We're excited to have you on the podcast. How are you on this fine Friday? I, I'm doing well. Uh, a little chilly up here in Ontario right now with uh, with a lot of snow from a storm that rolled through last week. But other than that, uh, uh, doing very well. Thank you. Absolutely, Will. I had uh, We had some flurries on our way into the studio here in Nashville. So that's a big deal for us down here. You get some snow flurries in the air. So <laughs> it is indeed winter, and I guess that's what we deal with as hockey folks. And uh, before we get to anything else... The ECHL recently announced that they're renaming the Goaltender of the Year Award the Nick Vitusi Goaltender of the Year Award. So I got to ask, what do you think about that? Well, I, 
<laughs> I, I had a lot of friends reach out to me after they, they read it and at, just checking in to make sure I was all right because they, they uh, you know, they're like, don't they usually do this to somebody who's, who's passed away or giving them that honor? And so I, for a second, I kind of felt like Bruce Willis in the movie The Sixth Sense. Um, but uh, no, what a, what a tremendous honor. Um, I, I was absolutely shocked um, uh, with it and uh, obviously... Uh, right after it happened, you start reflecting on your career and all the great teammates and the teams and the coaches that I was able to play on and with and for. And, um, uh, you know, obviously a, a huge thanks to all of them as well. We, uh, you know, we, we put together some good teams over the years and had a lot of fun on the ice and winning games and winning championships. And, and uh, this, you know, something like this I, I never even thought of. I had always hoped. You know, my career ended, and, and uh, you can start sharing some of the memories with your, you know, your friends and your family. But as, as players and even as coaches, you're always wired just to try and win. And, you know, I was fortunate to win ECHL championships, and you enjoy those for a week or two. But then you start gearing up for the next year, and you just want to try and win again. And, and uh, um, so it really goes year by year. But, uh, um, you know, this is something that, that goes on forever now, and my, my name is associated with the league for, for, for you know, for time moving forward, I guess. And, and um, you know, to, to have that honor is, is such, a, such a humbling experience. And, and the league has meant so much to me, obviously, in my career, but also me personally. And to be associated now with it moving forward is just, um, is just an experience I never thought of. I never thought I'd be talking about it. Well, that was my next question. Is you're part of the first ever induction class into the ECHL Hall of Fame back in 2008, a 26-year association with the league. You have an ECHL record five championships. What has the ECHL meant to your life? Uh, everything. You know, everything. It. it um, I, I came out of the OHL in junior hockey and, and um, you know, in really just an average goaltender. I mean, I, I never, ever thought I was anything above that. I, I was never on a championship team through minor hockey uh, or through my junior career. Um, I was fortunate that, that a, a coach uh, saw me a year and a half before I joined the ECHL at a free agent camp that I was participating in in the summertime. And, uh, uh, you, you know, and I, I tell people, I tell kids that I work with all the time, you never know who's watching and you never know uh, what opportunities could come from that. And, and uh, a year and a half later, I was done playing hockey. I had tried out for the Johnstown Chiefs in the fall of 88, which was the first year of the ECHL, never made the team. On the way home, driving back from Johnstown to Canada, I stopped in Erie, Pennsylvania, asked the coach there if I could get a tryout. Um, there wasn't any available. He, he was all set with his goaltenders to start the year. Uh, I went home. Uh, my dad had a little plumbing and heating business that I had worked with him for years at. Um, I was going to continue my plumbing apprenticeship uh, with him with the hopes to get hired a general manager where I might, or a gen, general motor, sorry, um, where I might be able to, to expand my experience working with my dad, maybe in a skilled tradesman role at General Motors. And uh, um, all of that started, the wheel started in motion. I got called in for an assessment program at, uh, at GM, um, got called in shortly after for a physical. Uh, the next call I got was from the coach that saw me a year and a half earlier at this free agent camp, and he had just been named the, the head coach of the Carolina Thunderbirds in the East Coast League. Um, 
it was just at Christmas time when he called me. He was just taking over, remembered me from the free agent camp, wanted to upgrade his goaltending, and thought I was the guy. So, you know, a lot of humming and hawing, and my father finally pulled me aside, and he said, son, he said, you're 21 years of age. He said, you have 44 years till you retire if you get hired in General Motors. You know, General Motors, what's 43 or 42 years going to make a difference? So I was off to Winston-Salem, North Carolina, um, uh, I called my parents the morning after my first game that I played and my mom responded with GM called you start on Monday. <laughs> so, uh, it, it was an easy decision to stay playing hockey and obviously went on to play for 13 season and then coach for, you know, a bunch of seasons after. And, and the league is obviously meant everything to me because I, I not only grew as the, the league grew from five teams to 27 teams, which it's at now, a very average goaltender grew as well as a goaltender, but as a person. And, and uh, you know, that, that's the most important thing I take away from, from my experience as ECHL is as it was growing, I was growing as well. And it's something I would never forget. Well, we're curious. You're in your first season as a pro scout with the Predators. Obviously, you've done this for a number of seasons with New Jersey. But how now would you describe what you do? Uh, I, I absolutely. My experience with Nashville at this point has been fantastic. Um, uh, you know, the, the role as far as the job itself is somewhat similar to what I did in New Jersey for five years, and I think similar to what most of the scouts do, but I, I find with Nashville, it's uh, such an intimate, caring staff. Um, you know, you're in constant communication, not only with the other scouts on the staff, but with Jeff Kelty, who overlooks all of us and, and constant updates at what they're hearing, and, and they want our feedback on what we're hearing in regards to the teams that, that we're responsible for. And, and um, you know, coming into Nashville, I, I knew speaking with – and, and I kind of chuckled because when when I was uh, speaking with with David Poyle initially, and he asked me, you know, in the summertime when I was interviewing for the position, why why do you want to come to work for me and why do you want to work for Nashville? And I said, well, uh, you know, David, I I feel like I have worked for you already. And he said, well, well, what do you mean? And I said, uh, all the stories I've heard from Ray Shiro and Dan McKinnon (laughs) and Peter Horacek and and Tom Fitzgerald and, and other people that I know who've worked uh, with the National Predators who were working alongside me with the, with the New Jersey Devils at the time, I said, I've heard so many stories about the National Predators and how, how things were run there and how you operated there that I, I kind of feel like I've worked for you already. And, uh, you know, those, all those people that I mentioned had such a wonderful experience, uh, you know, during their time with the Preds and were certainly uh, happy for me that I was able to land uh, with Nashville and, and certainly willing to share a ton of stories uh, to help me uh, prepare for, for, for the start of my career with Nashville. And so you're a pro scout as opposed to an amateur scout. So you're mainly watching professional games in the NHL, the AHL, correct? Correct. And, um, you know, how, how I explain to the, you know, maybe the fans who might not know the difference, um, the, the amateur staff, um, it, it doesn't reflect that they're, below the pro staff by, by any means. Their, their, their job is such an important one, and I find probably the most difficult one in, because they're having to project what a player is going to be three or four years down the road. Um, they're watching the junior leagues. They're watching uh, you know, some of the, co- the college leagues. They're watching 
uh, you know, the junior leagues over in Europe, all gearing up for the NHL draft. Um, but the challenge with that is the NHL draft is, as you know, you're drafting 18-year-olds, and you're trying to figure out what an 18-year-old is going to be when he's 21, 22, 23 years old. And I think that's such a difficult uh, process because you're you're really trying to uh, look into a crystal ball to see what somebody's future is going to be and, and those you know those scouts at the amateur level are so talented in doing the job that they do in in that area um, as pro scouts where the amateur scouts their their big thing is is uh, the, the NHL entry draft I think as pro scouts um, one of our most important uh, uh, jobs is, is, is free agency, um, you know, in, in July 1st when, when players are expiring in their contracts around the NHL, uh, to have a handle on those players, um, what they might be able to add to our team and the type of player they are and maybe the comparables that we have within our organization uh, that these players might, uh, might be similar to. But then we also have to have knowledge of all our teams from top to bottom because if there's a, a, a trade during the season um, where you know secondary parts might be part of it as well um, we have to have the knowledge of all those players as well uh, you know in regards to their skill sets how they're trending uh, what their strengths and weaknesses are and then again comparables maybe to players in our organization um, to just kind of help our, our, our group understand more about these players and what, what may be coming into our organization. So it's, um, you know, it's a lot of fact-finding. It's a lot of uh, watching the players uh, multiple times because you might go one day and that player might be the best player on the ice and you might go another day and he might be the worst player on the ice. So you want to get multiple, multiple looks at each, each of these teams and these players so you really have a great idea of, of what he is as a player. You talk about watching the players, but what are you looking for specifically? How do you watch a game maybe differently than us, the average fan watching? I think a lot of times the average fans are, are looking for the, you know, the excitement level of the game, the goals, the hits, uh, some of them, the fights, the great saves that goalies make. Um, scouts might be looking at it uh, a little differently as, well, why was that goal scored? Who who, what, what broke down in the system that allowed that goal to be scored? And then, you know, you're looking at the player's individual skill set, and it might not be the eye-catching skill set. Uh, you know, the, the eye-catching skill set, I call it, is, is you know, the big goal, the, the, you know, the, the big slap shot, the, the, you know, the, the rebound at net front trying to jam in a rebound, or, you know, a, a great play off the rush where a player's showing a lot of skill with speed and quick hands to, to get around the defender. Um, you know, and that's, that's awesome. That's, that's what draws us to, to get out of our seats a little bit. Um, but I think, Scouts, you're, you're looking at the, the little things, too. Did he clear the puck properly out of his zone? Uh, did he advance the puck properly into the offensive zone? Did he make the right pass, or was he trying to force a pass that might have not been there? Uh, what's his effort like on the back check trying to stop a scoring chance from being, uh, from being uh, uh, executed? Um, so you're really looking at a lot of the small details of the player um, as well as the eye-catching uh, skills that the, player, that the player has as well. We're talking to Predators Pro Scout Nick Vitusi here on the Predators official podcast on ESPN 1025 The Game. And Nick, I, one more question about scouting before we get to some fun stuff. But I, I do want to ask as well, and I, 
I think I've learned over eight seasons in this business, no day, no week is typical. But is there a typical week for you during the season as far as maybe where you're going and who you're seeing? Um, you know, there is. Um, we're, we're able to create our own schedules. Um, and, you know, so it's a lot of looking at the computer and the schedules and where teams are. And then you, you try and, um, you know, come up with your own personal schedule where you, you're, you know, you can kind of do loops, I call them. So for me, for instance, I'm, I'm in Canada, I'm in Ontario, but I have, um, as far as the teams that I'm responsible for, all the teams in Canada, which with the exception of Vancouver and their farm team in, in Abbotsford. So for next week, for instance, I've got a trip where I start a game off in Toronto. Um, I'll stay in Toronto at the Toronto airport. I'll fly to Calgary the next day for a game. Or sorry, fly to Edmonton next the next day for a game. Uh, the day after, I'll fly to Calgary and be there for two days for two games. Fly back to Edmonton for another game. Fly to Vancouver because one of my teams is playing in Vancouver. And although they're not my team, I, I want to see some of my teams play on the road as well and not just home games. And then I'll fly to Montreal. Uh, from there and, and catch a, a game in Montreal before I return home back to the Toronto airport and then drive back back to my home city. So a lot of it, you know, that particular trip, because I'm flying out west, there's a lot of uh, airtime, but uh, I'll set up similar schedules where I'm driving as well, where I might pop into Buffalo and then Rochester and then Wilkes-Barre, Scranton, Pennsylvania, and then hit Cleveland on the way back or something. So it's a lot of... Um, you know, just trying to put together a schedule that's going to have uh, enough flow to it and, and kind of moving from one point to the next without really stretching yourself out at one given time. Um, but you also want to make sure, like I, for me personally, I, I try and keep my looks at, at teams pretty even throughout the year. And if I find that I'm lacking with one team, uh, maybe they've fallen behind, especially in these last couple of years because of game cancellations with, with covid um, you try and pick them up and, and make those up at a later date. Aside from collecting frequent flyer miles, we've heard that you are a bit of a collector, that you have an amazing collection of pucks and other memorabilia. How did that all start? And can you tell us a little bit about it? Well, you know what? And, and thank you for asking because it is, uh, it is kind of an escape and it, it always has been, whether I was a player or a coach, um, to just kind of escape from the job for a little bit. And I know people read and, and uh, you know, go to the gym and do different things. Collecting has always been a big part of my, uh, of my life. And really my father introduced me to it, bringing me to OHL games and the, well, the long defunct Niagara Falls Flyers who played in the Ontario Hockey League. Uh, we would go to their games all the time. And, and my dad made a pact with me that every time we went to a Flyers game, uh, we would hit the souvenir stand and he would buy me a puck of the opposing team that the Niagara Falls Flyers were playing at the time. So that's where the, the collection started. The pucks was really the, the big thing that got me going. And then once I started playing minor hockey, uh, I'd start collecting different team pucks, different association pucks. If we went to tournaments, I'd pick up tournament pucks. And then once I you know, had a collection where I might start picking up doubles, I would knock on referees' doors as a six, seven, eight-year-old and see if they had any pucks to trade because they would always get them off the ice uh, for games that they were refereeing at. So it's really where it started, and then uh, it never really stopped. I, I still pick them up. I, I enjoy thoroughly, uh, you know, stopping at antique stores or flea markets and things like that in the off-season just to see if there's something laying around. Um, 
and then it just kind of expanded. I grew up uh, in, in the 70s. It was really the time that I grew up. I was born in the mid-60s, but uh, fell in love with the game in the 70s. And, and I love that era of uh, not only pucks, but you know toys and games that were available at that time that I had when I was a kid. I, I've kept most of them, but then just finding other things that I didn't have that I've been able to to find around so um yeah it's just been a, a lot of fun i mean i've kept my my own game jerseys i've kept my own masks uh to always be able to have and display but you know the one thing i was never a big collector of was autographs i i just always felt that that uh, I, I didn't want to bother anybody for an autograph and and uh so that's something that's very light in my collection but the, the rest of it is just you know, just great memories. I look at a puck. I remember I still got most of them, and the collection's up over 7,000 pucks now. But wow. um, uh, I tell people it, it, they reflect every bad goal I let in in my <laughs> career. So, <laughs> <laughs> But it, it, it's been a lot of fun. You meet a lot of great people who have, you know, that same interest. But I'll tell you what, I've moved quite a bit during my lifetime as well, and that's the one part that's not fun is having to move it all from place to place. Do you have a Predators puck yet? I do. Yeah, I do. I, you know what? I don't have one since I've been with the Predators. Um, you know, I don't have one from this year, but I, I have some from the past that I've picked up over the years. I, I have a, a good amount of, of different pucks from all the NHL teams and, and different meaning that there, there's a ton of different pucks. You know, game pucks change from year to year. Obviously, there's souvenir pucks. There's, there's special event pucks. Um, so I, I picked up these things over the years as well from different teams. Nick, uh, to close, this has been an awesome chat, and clearly hockey's played such a role in your life. It's given you so much. What, what's been the best part about all of this for you? I, I think all of us that are in the game, we get something out of it, um, and there's no way that we could give enough back compared to what we necessarily get in return, but uh, what's been the best part about all of this for you over the last few decades? The easiest, that's, that's the easiest question to answer, and it really has been the relationships along the years. Um, uh, you know, I, and I, obviously New Jersey, the people that I worked there, some of them remain close personal friends, but from my playing career, the teammates that we still stay in contact with, I was just part of an alumni game uh, before the new year in Toledo and got a chance to skate with uh, you know, old teammates that I haven't been on the ice with for, for over 20 years. So the opportunity to just catch up with old teammates, old fans, old coaches, um, and then through my coaching career, now catching up with players that I had the honor to coach as well and, and, and you know, following their, their careers and, and their families and how they're doing on their personal, uh, personal side of things. Um, and now, you know, again with Nashville, now I'm new, new to the Nashville staff and getting – to know, I, I've known Stan Julia, who's who's a pro scout with Nashville. I've known Stan since we were kids, but Doug Janik, I didn't know Rob Cowie, I didn't know Jeff Kelty, I didn't know, and obviously David and Brian Poyle, I didn't know, uh, you know, on a personal level coming in. But now, uh, you know, gaining those those friendships as well as along the way, and and uh, so yeah, that's an easy question for me to answer. Just the relationships that you. You're fortunate to be a part along the way is is easily the, the the highlight of my career. Well, Nick, you've you've made two more this morning, but it's been great to talk to you. Uh, good luck the rest of the season as you travel your way across Canada and beyond. And uh, really excited to to see you in the future here in Nashville, and hopefully we'll catch up with you sometime soon. Well, thank you, and all the listeners, please be safe out there, and and uh, and and you as well. Uh, you know, thank you for having me on. 
And, uh, yeah, I look forward to meeting you down the road sometime. That would be great. Up next, the Preds have a few more games to play in the month of February. This is the Predators' official podcast on ESPN 102.5 The Game. Predators official podcast, the POP episode 158 on ESPN 1025 The Game. Brooks Bratton and Kara Hammer back with you. St. Lucia, I love that intro. Thomas used to say, Thomas Willis, rest in peace. Well, he's not dead, but he used to work here. He used to say that this song, he loved the intro to this song and he felt like the chorus was such a letdown. I disagree, and that's why we're playing it again. Welcome back to the program. Thanks once more to Nick Vitusi, Predators Pro Scout, who was kind enough to join us. Kara, 7,000 pucks in his collection. Do you have 7,000 of anything? No, but I've moved 7,000 times. So <laughs> when he said that he's moved, I was thinking, oh my goodness. <laughs> Are we having nightmares of moving 7,000 pucks? I hope he I hope he has hired help. <laughs> <laughs> he's... Uh, so... I'm going to post, I'm going to write a story off of this. So for everyone that just listened to that, and you might be thinking to yourself, gosh, I would love to see the 7,000 pucks. I'm going to write a little story off of this. And he has actually tweeted photos of his collection. So I will make sure that those go into the story so you can see them. You will want to see them. It's fascinating. It's so cool. Uh, I spent a lot of time the other day looking at it, just trying to go through and zoom in on things and see all the pucks that he has. But uh what a what a cool little side note off of someone who spends their life playing goalie and coaching and scouting and oh by the way uh, he's knocking on referees' doors asking for pucks. I thought that was so cool. I wonder if he's scouting masks. You know, he mentioned that he also you know saved all of his goalie masks. So you wonder, you know, he's watching the game. Obviously, he talked about the way he's watching players, exactly what he's looking for. But you almost wonder when you still have that little bit of fan in you. Are you are you geeking out a tiny bit over the goalie mask? He's a goalie. He has to be, right? Yeah. Like he's got to be like the ECHL, like the ECHL goalie. Nick Vatusi, I love too. He was like, my friend started calling me like, don't they usually do this when somebody dies? <laughs> nope. He's a living legend, Nick Vatusi. So thanks once more to him. Uh, we'll look forward to catching up with him again sometime soon. Ho- hopefully get to meet him. That's the first time I've ever talked to him. As we said, it's his first season here and never met him in person. First time we got to talk to him. So uh, it was great, great to chat with him. We wanted to mention this because honestly, like, I'm kind of not thinking about it too much, and I need to get it. I'm someone who usually has the schedule in my head for the most part, at least the next couple of weeks. I'll be honest. I know it's Vancouver and then the All-Star break next week, and then after that I have no idea because it's all been rescheduled, right? So the NHL, we originally thought they were going to go to the Olympics. They are not doing that, uh, not going to Beijing. And so as a result, a number of games have been rescheduled. Seven Predators games in total have been rescheduled. I guess two that are worth mentioning that are going to end up being at Bridgestone Arena. So you'll remember the Preds were supposed to play the Jets four days before Christmas in Nashville. That's now going to come on Saturday, February 12th at Bridgestone Arena. And then one more. This was not ever postponed, but the Predators were supposed to host the Capitals all the way on April 2nd. That game has now been moved up to February 15th 
at 7 o'clock at Bridgestone Arena. And you'll want to note the return of Peter Laviolette, the first time that he has been back behind the bench since leaving the Predators back in January of 2020, which honestly seems like 10 years ago at this point. But he will be back in the building. Kevin McCarthy, his longtime assistant, will also be back. So you know that the Preds uh, will certainly be honoring him, uh, Laviolette and McCarthy, their work. And Matt Irwin as well, by the way, friend of the show, Matt Irwin, uh, is coming back with the Caps too, uh, who his his son has got great red hair. Beckham, he's really growing up. It's uh, cool to see that too. So we'll look forward to welcoming some old friends back uh, with the Washington Capitals on February 15th. But Kara, I guess your February got a little bit busier. But, you know, this is like a win-win because we had the whole month off what felt like. And so I know the players appreciate that they still get a little time off. Everybody's going to take about a week. But then we come back. So then we have we have games. So fans, don't forget, you need to get your tickets to come to these games on the 12th and the 15th. But the second positive of this, Brooks, is the, is the Washington game scheduled for April 2nd. Well, that came on a back-to-back. So moving that game into February, now the Preds have no back-to-backs the rest of the season We've learned from Phil Forsberg that they like their rest. You know, it, it seems to be a positive for this team. So I think all of this, it, it's good. I, I appreciate them taking away the back-to-back. Let's play it in February, and then let's take that night off in April. Yeah, no, that's good. They'll come from Buffalo again. They were going to come home and play Washington uh, to start the month of February. March and April will still be – there's a lot of Saturday-Sunday um, that the Preds will have to deal with, but – that's later on down the line, and I think at that point every team's going to be dealing with it. So uh, we'll get into those as we go. But And Matt Duchesne said this the other night in Edmonton too. He was like, February is usually a grind. And for the Predators now, there wasn't supposed to be anything, obviously, with the Olympics, or there were only supposed to be three games originally. You're going to be able to make up a lot of the games that were postponed, but they're still so spread out. You're going to have, for the most part, two, three, four days between all these games that are being made up in February. So that's a good thing. Hopefully we'll give the time, uh, give the Preds time rather to continue to rest, recuperate, all while still making things up and getting back on track as we go into March. And so uh, to mention again, seven rescheduled games in February. Of course, Preds.com, you know where to go to see the full schedule. By the way, again, worth mentioning, Tuesday they host the Predators do. They host Vancouver on February 1st, and then that leads into the NHL All-Star break. UC Saros, of course, will be participating in Vegas. The skills competition is next Friday night uh, on ESPN in the evening, and then the All-Star game is Saturday afternoon on ABC, the first All-Star game on ABC since it would have had to have been 2004, I guess. So that'll be exciting to see, and we're looking forward to seeing how UC Soros performs in that. So make sure you tune in there, and then we'll get going in the month of February. By the way, Terry Chris, Predators broadcaster, you know him, you love him. He's been named the 2021 Tennessee Sportscaster of the Year. Pete Weber usually wins that award, so I suppose <laughs> it's only appropriate to give Crispy a chance as he'll be retiring after this season. And I uh, wanted to mention this as well, the Pecorine countdown, the top 35 moments leading into his jersey retirement on February 24th. You've probably seen our moments. The countdown is already underway on social media. I've got a blog post going on Preds.com as well, but wanted to mention those two items. And Kara, quickly, anything to add on Crispy or Pex? Um, no, I, I got Phil, Phil Brewery, which I'm excited. That's my countdown. So I am happy we have more games in February, even though Phil asked me once not to say that word anymore. Wow. But you said <laughs> you, you, 
he didn't want it to be called February. He was done. Wow. It was over. And but it's coming back now that we have games in February. Um, as far as Crispy, obviously the best coworker anybody could ever ask about. He deserves this award so much. We, uh, you know, I, I said it on air that he's so good at what he does because he just is so effortless at it. You know, he brings so much joy and excitement to the game. He's funny. He's the best. I'm so happy for him. And I, I, and uh, Pekka, well, I just, I can't wait to see him. Yeah. You know, it's I'll give him a high five and have him back in the building. <laughs> it's an exciting month. And then, oh, by the way, we're going outside at the end of February. If you don't have your tickets for the stadium series, you heard Steve Mayer a couple weeks ago, you need to get them. Uh, but Carrie, you're right. February. And even though he told you not to say it, uh, you know what? He called us old a few weeks ago. So <laughs> this is our payback. <laughs> you can say whatever you want. Uh, the POP will be back in just a moment as we answer some questions from the week. That's next right here on ESPN 1025 The Game. P, fourth and final segment of episode 158 here on ESPN 1025 The Game. Brooks and Kara back with you to wrap things up this week. Kara said that she wanted some Tom Petty, and Max said that we've got a lot ready to go, and that was the one that I wanted, and he didn't even ask. We're just on the same wavelength. I was like, Max, I really want American Girl. And subconsciously he's like i got you carol was that what you wanted since you were the one who asked for tom petty you know what i like almost all tom petty songs i like this song break the breakdown version when it's the live version is probably like my all-time number one tom petty song but i'm i'm just i'm a huge petty fan i love it it just it just puts you in a good mood on a friday thanks to tom welcome back to the show as we wrap things up here and we got a couple of Twitter questions. You can always use hashtag Preds Podcast to reach us, let your voice be heard. And these couple came in this morning, and I guess they're kind of on the same wavelength. So we'll, I'll ask them both at once. So Jay said, are the Preds buyers leading up to the trade deadline? And then Jeremy said, to trade or not to trade, that is the question on Philip Forsberg. And we've been asked about Phil so many times, as has David Poyle already this season. Uh, And again, I I think it's kind of a wait-and-see approach at this point. But to Jay's question and Jay's point, are the Predators buyers leading up to the trade deadline? I think they should be to a point. Uh, I, I thought it was interesting what David Poyle said the other day as he did his weekly hit here on 1025 The Game. And he was kind of asked about, Matt Tennyson, who we touched on early in the show, and just another depth defenseman coming up. And uh, David Poyle, Predators general manager, said, essentially, you're trying to see what you have as far as depth is concerned at forward, on defense. And traditionally, that's mainly what you would look for at the trade deadline. Unless you're trying to hit a home run, you're going to add a depth defenseman. It was Eric Branson last year the Predators acquired at the deadline. We've seen them acquire depth forwards uh, over the years. Vern Fiddler comes to mind at the deadline. Brian Boyle, Cody McLeod came back at the deadline. 
a few years back. And so we'll see. I, I don't, you know, I, I think the Preds really like what they have right now. And a lot of times guys overpay at the trade deadline. Teams overpay. That's just what you do. We know that the scouts would prefer to not give up any first-round picks at the deadline. Um, so we'll see. And David Poyle has said again that uh, he expects chatter to pick up in February. A lot of teams have had their internal pro scouting meetings to discuss maybe what the strategy is. We've still got a lot of time, almost two months. The deadline isn't until March 21st, and a lot can happen between now and then. But again, Poyle said he expects the chatter around the league to pick up in February, and we'll see where that takes us. I think the biggest thing is going to be where the Preds are in the standings at that point in time. You know, are the, are we in, in the hunt? Are we going to make a playoff push? Do we need to keep everybody? Do we need to just add one or two pieces? Or is it to a point where maybe, unfortunately, we've fallen out then, then we have to reassess if we're if we're buyers or sellers. For sure, yeah. Again, a lot can happen, and I think too that, and I've said this before. I think that if you're in a spot where you think you have a chance, you you have to go for it because you never know when that streak is going to end, when you're no longer going to be in playoff contention, and if you're there and you think you have something then you have to go for it. And I'm not saying that that means the Predators are going to add some huge name at the deadline because, again, a lot of times there's some overpaying that goes on. I don't think they're necessarily interested in something like that. And and also, I, I still think they really like the makeup of this team right now. And, and so we'll see. You know, it's something that we'll discuss over the next six, seven weeks to come. Um, but for now, like if the deadline was tomorrow, which it's not, thank goodness, but if it was... For sure, I think you'd look at adding a piece or two. Um, but we'll see. We'll see where that takes us and where the Predators end up in a few weeks' time. And wanted to mention this as well. Scotty asked us a few days ago using hashtag Preds Podcast. So well done, sir. He didn't wait till we asked. He was just like, I got a question. I'm going to ask it. He said, Rocco Grimaldi has had a killer time in Milwaukee and was AHL Player of the Week last week. Very true. What goes into the decision to bring him back up? Do you think we'll see him in Nashville before the end of the season. And I think in Rocco's case, that just depends on, like you don't want to see injuries at the NHL level, but you're probably not calling guys up unless you're dealing with that, at least on this Predators team right now. Because again, I think they're really pleased with the makeup of this group, the personnel that is here right now. Rocco's been doing great for the Admirals. But if you feel like you don't have a spot for someone, then you're not necessarily just going to call someone up and get someone up here um, just to do it. And so I think there's got to be some sort of cause and effect maybe for that to happen. But it is great to see him tearing it up down there. He's been great for the Admirals and uh, had a hat trick last week, 10 points in three games, I think it was. And so it's good to see him doing well. And that's all that means to me is like that's just another option for the Predators if they need it. Because they can say, hey, Rocco's been doing a really good job down here. And if we need him uh, moving forward, yeah, he's just another option. Well, also you think, you know, we, we're still dealing with COVID. So we still have the potential for players on this team to go into the COVID pro- protocol. So that could be an opportunity for Rocco to come back up. But also I think depends on what type of team we're playing, you know, take for example, Jeremy Davies. He's a guy who's also playing well down in Milwaukee, but they want to bring him up when we're playing a more tough physical type game because he's that type of player. So you think, Maybe when we get into some of these speed games, potentially Rocco could could get the call back up. Yeah, we'll see. Again, 
we stress it all the time, but anything can happen. It's like, uh, is it Ellie Golding that says anything can happen? I don't know. No, no, I'm just throwing that out into the ether. Nobody knows. We only know Tom Petty. <laughs> <laughs> Let's wrap it there, shall we? No, this has been good. Uh, after our little two week hiatus, it's good to be back. And we'll be soon carrying into the month of February. So, again, one more game to go before the All-Star break. UC Saros is headed to Vegas. Before we know it, we'll see if we can chat with him sometime soon to talk about his experience as he heads to the great state of Nevada and represents the Predators well as we know that he will. So stay tuned for all of that to come. Maybe take this time, a little bit of rest, relaxation, just like the Preds will do, and recharge those batteries because it's going to get hot and heavy coming up here very shortly. Thanks to Nick Vitusi so much for joining us on the POP. Kara, always great to chat to chat. And we'll talk to you next week. Sounds good. That was a lot of nice words. <laughs>